This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We, uh, we've been studying through the book of Acts, and uh, last week I communicated that we're taking a two-week detour, and uh, we are doing sort of a mini two-week series on community, because we kind of have a reset of community in the life of our church right now. And uh, so today I'm going to actually be speaking from Romans 12. Now what's interesting about this is uh, I had these two weeks with these messages, and I didn't tell the guys what I was going to be sharing, so Rob had no idea I was going to be sharing from Romans 12, and uh, then and he felt the Lord laid something on his heart and he got up and read us Romans 12. So that was more than a coincidence, I think. Uh, so excited, uh, excited about that. Let me pray and then uh, we're going to look at this, uh, this chapter together. Father, thank you for an opportunity to be together as your people and to, to worship uh, together, to join together. Thank you for those who are here that might be new today. Pray that they would just feel a sense of your love and your welcome uh, through us. And uh, I pray that you would speak to all of us, whether we're new around here or been here since the beginning. I pray that you would speak to us about this theme from this chapter today. I pray that you would open up the word, that you would reveal the Savior afresh to us, and that you would speak to us, strengthen us, and encourage us, and help us to be about your purposes, we pray, Lord. We want to invest our lives wisely. Uh, we want to invest our lives being about what you're about. And I pray that you would help us see that from the scripture this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Well, uh, this is really a big week uh, in Frisco. And uh, it's just a huge week because a local uh, restaurant and bar is uh, hosting Vanilla Ice in concert uh, this week. And uh, thank you for the two people who know who that is. No, many of you know, you're embarrassed to admit that you know. And so you're kind of, if you don't know, if you're too young or too old to know who Vanilla Ice is, then consider yourself blessed. Um, I don't have anything against the man, but uh, he was a kind of a guy, uh, a rapper guy who's had a, re- a revival resuscitated career flipping houses or something now but uh has a tv show about that but he was a rapper guy and so uh i just had no idea he was still doing music um and uh he was an anglo rapper hence the name vanilla and that was what he called himself vanilla ice and uh so i just can't imagine who's going out to this thing it isn't a restaurant so not very many people but uh i don't know who's going out to this thing but i was just thinking here's a guy he may be a wonderful guy beautiful guy maybe you know i'm not dissing him personally at all i'm just making a, a comment on his music career. I'm not familiar with his entire um, musical catalog, but I am familiar with one song. And so I'm pretty sure everyone at the concert will just sit there and then at one moment they'll say, oh, I know this one. And that will be Ice Ice Baby, one song (laughs) that people will know. And uh, so when you have one song that people will know, and yet 24 years, something like that, 23 years after that song came out, you're still doing concerts. uh, It's possible that you're living off a previous reputation, I was thinking. Uh, in the last few days, this is what I've seen for concerts locally. I'm just here to serve. Uh, in the area, the Eagles will be in concert. REO Speedwagon will be in concert. Kansas will be in concert. Bon Jovi will be in concert. Foghat was just in concert. If those names don't mean anything to you, those are all bands that I listened to in the 70s that I grew up with, and they're still touring. And the reality is that uh, something's got to give. If they're not making new music. They're singing music from 40 years ago. And they're still touring. And it just, it just made me think of a couple things. First of all, if you're under 50, get your own bands. I mean, the, all these old bands are still uh, predominant and selling out large arenas. But it made me think about this. It is so easy to live off of a reputation. And there are entertainment acts that are living off of a reputation. Something they did in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. Those are all the references I just gave. In the 70s or the 80s, they did something... And they're still living off that. They're not creating anything new. They're not really living anything new. There's not energy behind pressing on creatively, doing something new. It's we're living off and making a buck off old people who now have money and can go to those concerts. And so we're making a buck off that. And we're living, uh, not on a prayer, but we're living in the past. We're living in the past of what we had done. And, uh, and we're still going on. And I just thought, it is so easy to just live off a reputation. And that's what these folks are doing. And it's easy for a church to live off a reputation. A church that's been around, we just advertised eight years ago, 
the church was started. We're celebrating our eighth anniversary. And as I've thought about my own life and thought about us, I thought, you know, when we started, the church started, building community was a huge deal for us. I mean, we were living it. A bunch of people moved, start the church, and didn't, didn't have anything else to do, didn't know anybody else, didn't just get, you know, we were just building community. That was a big part of who we were, and a really big part. And the first few years of the church growing and adding people, man, we were funneling people into small groups and adding new small groups. And there was a real real uh, energy like one of these bands in the old days uh, there was some real energy in what was what was happening and I thought it's really easy to live off a reputation and say yeah Grace Church is really about small group ministry and building relationships together and sharing life together and encouraging and strengthening one another it's really easy to think that's who we were because that's who that's who we are because that's who we were I recently walked the pastoral team through all the opening values that we had as a church. I walked through just memory lane and went through all of the teachings that we did in our pre-launch meetings. Before we launched, we laid out all this teaching for people who were interested and said, this is what we're going to be about. And I just walked them through them all. And then we looked at each of those values and said, with those values, which are still living and strong? Uh, Which have we grown in? Which new values have we added? And where have we diminished in really core values? And we had a conversation about that, and it just made me think that we can live off a reputation. And so there are many of us in the room who've been around for a while, and we are as committed and as involved in community as we ever were. And there's others of us who've been around for a while, and that was like a blast from the past, and wouldn't it be kind of nostalgic to kind of experience that for a night, like a concert or something? But it's really perhaps not in the forefront of our minds and hearts like it once was. Life is busy, and we're tired, and there's a lot going on. And then there's newer folks that maybe don't know, uh, don't know much about our history or don't know much about community or don't know much about living life, building life together through the context of encouraging one another in the scripture and in grace and in life together. And so we have felt the Lord is leading us for kind of a community reset. So we kind of did a reset on all our groups. Hope you made it to a group this last week. Uh, I made it to a group. My wife and I made it to a group. It was wonderful. Tons of life and energy in the room. It was very encouraging. But, uh, but, the reality is that we can often things think this is something that I'm about and then and just kind of coast off a reputation. So we don't want to coast off a reputation. We don't want to coast off of what was. We want God to be working fresh now in our hearts and in our lives. And that's why we're doing two weeks about this theme. So today we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 through 8. I'll read the first two verses that Rob read. And then I'm going to really camp on the next few verses which talk about uh, community life and spiritual gifts. So Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, which according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith... If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So as Rob commented during the singing portion of the worship service, it begins with a call to, Paul begins with a call to sort of whole life worship. The whole book up until now has really been describing the gospel, what God has done for us in Christ. And now he's calling us based on that mercy of Christ to us that we are to live as a living sacrifice before the Lord. Now, it's not, it's not, saying that we sacrifice, therefore we receive the mercy of God. God will love us if we sacrifice for him. It's the exact opposite. That's a pagan notion. It's a pagan notion that if I offer a sacrifice to the gods, then I get in the gods' favor by something I do, by something I give up. But that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is God makes the sacrifice. 
That God sends His own Son, Jesus, to die for us, to give His life for us, so that we can experience the love and the favor of God through Christ. By believing in Jesus, the grace of God comes to us. So he's saying, he's not saying, live as a sacrifice so that you'll receive the mercy of God. He's saying, I appeal to you by the mercy of God, or as one translation says, in view of God's mercy. Because of God's mercy to you, live a life of worship, a living sacrifice to him, your spiritual worship. He says, do not be transformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, so allow your mind but to be changed by the scripture. Now that you are know the mercy of God, experience the mercy of God, now allow the scripture to change the way you think, the way you live, and be conformed, transformed, conformed to the image of Christ so that you may know what the will of God is. So the beginning is this this thought about lifestyle worship, corporate worship, by worshiping God because in response to, out of gratitude for what he's done for us, and to have our minds and our lives changed by God's word. So this is what he's talking about, and then he seamlessly seamlessly transitions into community from there. He seamlessly transitions from you be a living sacrifice to talking about you're all members of one another. And so for Paul, and more importantly for God, this is just a smooth connection and transition. It's not two different things. It it is just, yes, you as an individual, but you as an individual um, are to be transformed with the community. And that's what he talks about next. So really the point of the passage as we read the whole thing, I think, is that we're to live out our transformed lives in community, using our gifts to serve one another. We live out our transformed lives in community, so he's talking about worship, the mercy of God, transform life, but then he's going to go into community, and we live that out among the people of God, uh, using our gifts to serve others. So he, tr- he goes from there to using your gifts and helping other people. And he starts all this in verses 3 through uh, 8, that's what we're going to concentrate on. In 3 through 8, he starts this with calling us to self-assessment. So he calls us to consider ourselves. He doesn't call us to some kind of crazy, uh, prolonged introspection, but he does call us to assess ourselves. And this is the first kind of point that he makes, is that grace leads us to reality about ourselves. Grace leads us to reality about ourselves. For by the grace, verse 3, given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has given. Grace causes us to have an accurate perception of ourselves. Grace causes us to see ourselves as we really are. And so he says, by the mercies of God, respond in worship. And then he says, by the grace of God, I'm saying to you. So Paul begins by recognizing himself. He's saying, I'm only writing to you because of the grace of God. If we read Paul's life, we see that Paul was a God-hater, or a Jesus-hater, Jesus who is God, but he was a, a Jesus-hater, a Jesus-persecutor, and he turned into a Jesus-lover, and one who is now writing Scripture. And so he's very aware, Paul is always very aware of the grace of God, and he's saying, by the grace of God given to me, I'm saying this to you, I'm writing to you and telling you to think accurately about yourself, and I'm calling you to reality. By the grace of God, I say to every one of you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't have an elevated view of yourself, and I'm telling you that by the grace of God, only by God's grace do I see reality that I was a persecutor of the church and God has saved me. And he wants them to see the very same thing. So he's been converted. He's preaching the gospel. He's starting churches. He's reaching the Gentiles. But that's all because of the grace of God. Assess yourself as one who has received undeserved love and favor, unearned mercy. That's what he's saying. By the mercy of God, realize that God has had mercy on your soul, that God has been kind to you. That God has given you what you don't deserve in Christ. And so he, he warns us against thinking more highly about ourselves than we are ought to. Now he's not calling us to self-loathing. Self-hatred is a, as much a sin as, um, as self-elevation, being puffed up. So being era, hating oneself is not righteous. That's just as sinful as being in love with oneself and being, uh, being arrogant and prideful because both have self as the center of one's universe and self as the center of focus. You have to look at yourself to hate yourself. You have to be consumed with yourself to loathe, with, loathe yourself. And so that's not godly. That's not right. 
So neither, neither extreme is right. We don't to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. But we're not to think of ourselves more lowly than we ought because we're thinking of ourselves. We're to think of Christ ultimately and realize what he has done for us. Grace calls us to reality because it causes, causes us to see ourselves as we really are and what he's really done for us. Grace is the foundation. By the grace of God given to me, grace is the foundation of sober judgment. We soberly assess ourselves by grace. That's why in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So grace causes us to say, whatever I have is a gift of the Lord. I'm not to credit. If I'm a Christian, I'm not to credit myself. I credit the grace of God. If I love the Lord at all, I credit the grace of God for that. If I know anything about God, well, have I read the Bible? Yes, but it's the grace of God that gave me an interest in the Bible and a heart for the Bible, and it just all goes back to grace. So that causes me to soberly assess myself. Grace, uh, grace is, is the enemy of legalism, of, of being puffed up and proud of my own spiritual accomplishments. Uh, grace causes me to think soberly about myself, and, and it, it prevents us from thinking too lowly about ourselves either. It just causes us to reality. Uh, I'm a sinner who would not know Christ but for his grace, but God loves me, loves me so much that he sent Christ. And so the mercy of God, God has chosen me, loves me, has favored me, and uh, so now I want to live as a living sacrifice for him. That's a sober assessment of ourselves. And he says beyond that, that let each of you according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So he's about to talk about gifts and spiritual gifts. This is likely tied to that. So assess yourself with a measure of faith that God has assigned to you. One commentator said, that is the spiritual power given to each Christian for the discharge of his special responsibility. So respond to God and respond to others with the spiritual gifts, the grace, the power that God has given you. God has gifted you, we're about to see. God has empowered you. God has called you. God has a plan for your personal life to be invested in his church. God's got a role for you among his people. God's fashioned you in some specific ways and given you some specific abilities to contribute to the health and the building up of his church. So whatever measure of faith he's given you, whatever gifts he's given you, live according to those. Use those, what he's saying. Think soberly. Don't think that your gift is the greatest thing and why doesn't everybody see it and the whole church would be different if everybody thought like I did and used my gift. That's not a sober assessment of yourself. But neither is I have nothing and woe is me and Eeyore spirituality. I'm just nothing and I have nothing to contribute and nothing to do. That's not sober. That God has graced you and gifted you and so there's a measure of faith that he's given you and called you to use. So grace leads us to reality about ourselves. Number two, grace leads us to reality about the community. Grace leads us to the reality, to reality about the community. Verse four, for as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So grace causes us to not only think rightly about ourselves or think in reality, but to think in reality about the community. That God has placed us in a community of of, of other believers. That's what he's saying. There's one body with many members, and we don't have the same function, but we're members of one another. And then he uses an illustration that he uses elsewhere in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12. And he says the church is kind of like a human body, and every part has a different function, but we're all members of one another. So my index finger is part of me. My kneecap is part of me. All the parts of the body are part of me. They're not separated. I don't have a kneecap over there and a little toe over there and an eyeball back in the drum cage. And no, I'm, I'm integrated as a whole, and so I'm all together. Uh, and that's what he's saying the church is like. And Christ, one body in Christ, elsewhere he says that Christ is the head, that we're the body and Christ is the head, that we're attached to him, that we're in union with him, that we are one with him. So we are members of one another. That's the, that's the truth. And each, each part has a different function. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. The eye needs the ear. Translation, I need your gifts and what you bring and you need mine. Because we are one part of another. We are individually members one of another. Having differing gifts, verse 6 
Let us use them. So we have, we have, we're like different parts of a body, and if one part's not functioning, the body suffers. But God has given each a part to play. So we're, th- we're to think in reality. Grace causes us to think in reality about ourselves, but also about the community. That I'm a part of a body, and that God's given me a role to play, and that God's given the body a role to play for me. The ear needs the, uh, the, ear needs the eye, would be what Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 12. So we're to have an accurate identity, a realistic understanding of ourselves, and a realistic understanding of our function. Saved by mercy, gifted individually, part of a body, a member of a whole. So when you think of yourself as a believer, as a Christian, do you think of yourself very naturally as attached to a group of people? Because God does think of you that way. Now, God loves you personally. God loves you individually. God died for you. Uh, God has forgiven you. God has gifted you. So there's something individual, very much so, about our faith. But it's not individualistic. God didn't gift you so that you and and Jesus could have a personal relationship. Jesus doesn't really need your gifts. He's not needing you to minister with your gifts to him. He's gifted you so that you can minister to other believers that do need you. And so when we think of ourselves as Christians, we should certainly think of a personal faith. But we should think of our lives as joined to others because that's our fundamental identity. He says the mercy of God has come to you. You're a living sacrifice. That's individual. And a few chapters, I mean, a few verses later, he says, you're a member of one another connected to one another in a body. So both are true, individual and corporate. But do we think of ourselves, do we kind of think of ourselves as a free agent just functioning on our own with Jesus Or do we see ourselves integrally involved and connected and in vital union with God and his people? And that being expressed, certainly universally, but that being expressed in a local congregation as well. And so if you're part of Grace Church, this would be the body that you're attached to or the part of the body that you're attached to. If you're from another church, well, that's your church. Wherever you are, that's where you are called to be. So I just think it's so easy. What I'm saying, this is so basic. Uh, for many of us in the room, for some of us maybe this is new, but for many of us this is very basic. But we just need a reminder. As I said last week, C.S. Lewis said it, that, that people need are in more need of reminding than res- instruction. We need reminder that this is who we are because I can forget my identity and just think it's about me. I can think about the universe is about me. I can think about life is about me. I think about my spiritual life is about me. I think about my Christian life is about me. And I need the reminder of, oh no, God doesn't think it's about me. God's done all these wonderful things for me and in me so that I would play a healthy role attached to his people. Grace leads us to reality about the community. That is our identity as a believer. So the, the, the Bible never envisions a believer apart from a church community. It really never does. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament era, if you weren't a part of the church community, you wouldn't even hear this, what we're saying right now. These letters, you didn't have a Bible, you didn't have a personal Bible. You came and gathered with the people of God, and you heard a letter read. You heard the scripture read. So if you're doing whatever else, if you decide to go to the lake and, and water ski that weekend, um, or if you're not a part of a small group, you just never heard, you didn't hear the scripture. That, that's how, it, and this, now we all have Bibles, and, um, and now we have all kinds of other means, podcasts and uh, all, books and all kinds of ways to, do, to cultivate our personal relationship with Christ. But sometimes that personal relationship is elevated as if that's all there is. So the Bible, the New Testament, never envisions the function or the goal of the Christian life to be an individual believer apart from a body any more than God envisions your hand to be apart from your body. If my hand was laying up here on the stage, uh, it just wouldn't be functioning as part of my body. It would be no good. It would be really gross, but it would be of no good to anyone. It, that's not functioning. It, it's functioning separate. It's, it's like, ugh. But if my hand is attached to me, it can function in the way that it's to create. That's not my illustration. That's his. That's what God says the picture 
of the body. So as we are in community reset, it's important that we have an accurate assessment of ourselves by grace. God relates to us personally. God has given us mercy. We're not to uh, think of ourselves too highly. We're to think that God loves me and God's gifted me. And we're also to think I need others. We're to have a reality view of the church as well. And the third thing he talks about here is that grace leads us to use our gifts in the community. So grace leads us to reality about ourselves. Grace leads us to reality about the community. And grace leads us to use our gifts in the community. That's what he talks about next. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, and he runs through a list of gifts, is service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who uh, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So God graces us so that we would use these very gifts among his people. And he says in verse 6, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. So God intentionally designs groups of people with differing gifts so that they can function in health together and one can help the other. Um, and we can mature together using our different gifts, whatever they may be. They all have a place. And he says because they are, we have these various gifts, verse 6 again, because there's different gifts, we are to use them. Use them. And so... Last week we said the, up, the, the, the basic message of how do we uh, obey Hebrews 10 is just show up. He said, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves, but gather together, stir one another up to love and good deeds, encourage one another as you anticipate Christ's return. So he was saying, just show up. That's a big part of it. If you just show up, then at least you're in an environment. If you're just with God's people, at least you're in an environment where you could stir someone up in a way that you can't if you're separate. So if last week was just show up, this week is, is very simple as well. It's use your gifts. Let us use them. That's the command. He's given different gifts. He has saved us individually. He's had mercy. We're living sacrifices. He's called us to soberly assess ourselves, that all that we have is by grace. He's called us to soberly assess the community, to realize we're a part. Now use your gifts. Just show up. Use your gifts. It's it's kind of a simple approach of what God calls us to do. But uh, this is what he says, just use them. Don't don't let them lie dormant. Don't don't miss out on a couple of things here. First of all, being who God's made you to be and fulfilling the calling on your life. So don't miss out on doing what God's put before you, which is where you will find the greatest joy in life is doing what God's made you to do, doing what God's called you to do. So don't miss out on being who God's made you to be, and don't miss out on receiving from others in what they have to contribute in your life as well. Because while he says, use these gifts, if other people are using these gifts, I'm going to be the beneficiary, and God's going to build me up and help me as well. So I'll be making my part to serve and help others and to build them up, which is a goal, and I'll be receiving from them as well. Let us use them. In 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 4, Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So he says, we are stewards of grace. A steward's a manager. A steward is someone who manages something that doesn't belong to him. So he's saying, 1 Peter's saying, God has given gifts. They don't belong to you. They're God's, they're God's gifts, but you manage them. For the good of his people and for God's glory. And that's what's happening here. Use them. Why? Because I'm created to be a blessing to others. And God's given me certain abilities and talents and gifts that I can use, resources that I can use to bless others. So he's saying, use those among God's people. So you've got to show up. You've got to be with people. You've got to be connected to people to manage what God's given you. Because none of these gifts are for individual use. But the one who teaches, you know, in his teaching, he's not saying, I've given you a teaching gift so that you could sit in, you know, in a room and teach yourself. That's, that's really not it. Or show mercy. Show mercy to others, not to our 
selves or prophesy not to other it's to others and not to ourselves so he runs through a list of gifts here this is not exhaustive this is one little section first uh, peter 4 as i mentioned first uh, corinthians 12 there are other gifts listed there i don't believe any of those lists are meant to be exhaustive he's giving examples as if i were to say uh as part of the body i have uh you know i have a forearm i have a shoulder I have a chest. Now, I didn't go over every part. I didn't list every potential part. I just kind of gave a list to give you the impression that talks about the body. So he just gives a list here. The first one he gives is, are sort of speaking gifts, gifts that are expressed through speech. So he says, first of all, in verse 6, if the gift, use your gifts. If it's prophecy, use it in proportion to our faith. Now, when he talks about prophecy here, he is talking about speaking something that God has given you, that God has impressed upon you, or that God has shown you, or God has inspired you, encouraged you with. He's not talking about these people in the church are all prophesying like Isaiah or Jeremiah. They're not writing scripture. They're not giving scripture quality words. They're not giving an errant speech or something like that. But 1 Corinthians tells us that prophecy is for the building up, the encouraging, the consolation, the comfort of God's people. So he's saying, some of you have a gift where the gift is God's going to put something on your heart, an idea, a truth that will be in line with Scripture, and you'll share that, and when you do, people will be built up. They'll be encouraged. They'll be strengthened. And it'll be something that will point them to Christ, encourage them to persevere, encourage them to honor the Lord. It'll reveal something about God to them. So use that gift. To encourage the church, if God has given you that, stir that up and use that. I believe there's people in our church that have that gift that are using it. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. We see that on Sunday morning sometimes. That's what's going on down here. Oftentimes when somebody shares something at the microphone, uh, it's something that the Lord laid on our heart that's, that stirs the church and calls, you know, encourages us. So we see that. We see that in our small groups. We see that in different ways. But there may be some of us for whom that's a gift that's been dormant. You say, yeah, I used to do that. There was a time when that was very real, but like the, you know, but, but I'm not using it. So God says, don't be the 60-year-old rock star on tour living in what was in the past. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got a prophetic gift. I used it, in, I think, last in 1983. But no, the Lord wants to use you now if he's given you that, if that's a gift. So how could you use that? Let us use our gifts to stir others up, to build up the church. We have differing gifts. Well, someone else will do that. Maybe, but maybe God's placed no one else, for instance, in your small group where he's gifting quite like he's gifted you. So maybe, but maybe the Lord wants to use you in that. Use your gifts. Just show up and just use your gifts. If that's your gift, pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you be putting things on my heart? Lord, would you, I want to pray for my small group, for instance. I want to go through the list, praying for my small group. And as I pray for them, would you maybe stir up something that I could share with the whole group that would encourage them? Pray um, and then step out in faith and use your gifts. So there may be some, maybe you've never done that before, but God's calling you to step out. You know, next time you're gathered, maybe the Lord's going to call you to step out and share, hey, I, I wanted to share something to encourage the group I think the Lord put on my heart and, and see, just see what happens. Maybe God's calling you to do that. So next he says another speaking gift would be teaching. Verse 7, uh, uh, the one who teaches in his teaching. So there's another uh, speaking gift. Um, so maybe the Lord's given you the ability to read the scripture and then to explain it in a clear way that people are able to grasp and able to apply. That's a teaching gift. You can take truth from Scripture. You can take doctrine. You can take theological concepts. You can take what's written in the Scripture. You can digest it. And then you can share it in a way that makes sense. That would be a really important part of a teaching gift that, that makes sense not just to you but to other people. And they're able to hear that and grasp that. And apply that to their lives. So maybe that's a gift you have. That can show up in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, uh, it can show up. It can show up kind of in just natural ways. Uh, you can identify uh, if you're in a small group. You can identify a person with a teaching gift. I think oftentimes, not because sometimes you can identify a, a person with a teaching gift that needs to put a lid on it. You can certainly identify someone when we ask a question. How, what did everybody think? How, how could we apply this? And then 
40 minutes later when someone's done talking, you're thinking, yeah, well, that's not, we weren't really having, this wasn't like sermon time. Uh, so sometimes people have a good teaching gift and it's really excellent. They just need some to know how to manage it and when to use it. Um, so that sort of thing. But you can often hear someone, their answer will say, well, what I was, you know, the, the way this applies to me, I was thinking in three ways. A, so-and-so, so-and-so. B, blah, blah, blah. Three, and you go, wow, that was really clear. He just took that and, and gave it out in a clear way. Clarity is a sign of a teaching gift, that, that what you hear makes sense. It's not confusing, but someone can take God's word and communicate it in an accessible way. So maybe, maybe some, some, there's a question in the group and someone's able to take a lofty concept and take it and put it on a lower shelf without letting everyone know they're doing that, but put it on a lower shelf where it's accessible to everybody. That's a teaching gift. And so maybe th- that'll show up in a group. That, that, that will show up. That'll show up in the way you, in fellowship with one another, the way you share with people. That, a teaching gift will show up. I love to have friends who have a, a teaching gift because they, they, they give me the word in ways that I understand and it edifies and, and builds me up. It's a gift that can be expressed in various ways. We have various teaching contexts. We're, we're looking to add to our teaching context and things that we do like man-to-man and in uh, flourish and in together some of those kinds of things we're looking to have various places where we could have people express that children's ministry is a place where people uh express teaching gifts every sunday now not everybody with a teaching gift is good with kids so uh there'd be plenty of people that could teach in a seminary classroom that we wouldn't let near over there because everybody would just be going what so that it doesn't mean that everybody's good with kids However, I would say this, that a person with a teaching gift, a real sign of a teaching gift is being able to take something complex and making it understandable to the simplest, simplest minds. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, would, would teach lessons that we could read to the children and they could follow them. They, you could just read them to a, 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 a child. Somebody went out and planted some seeds a uh, farmer went out planted, and as he planted the seeds, differing things happened to the seeds. He just told the story. A kid would be able to understand understand that. So, uh, while not everybody's good with children, I think people with a teaching gift, there is a an ability to communicate uh, with uh, with kids. And so that might be a place you'd want to try and use your teaching gift. There's always opportunities back there. Um, we have we recruited for people to speak at Rambling Oaks, our our ministry to uh, uh, to uh, seniors a few weeks ago or a few months ago rather. So that can just show up in a lot of different ways. Truth flows out, uh, but if you are in community and your gift is functioning, it will be identified, and we will look forward to an opportunity to have you use that in various other contexts. But if you have a teaching gift and you're a hand and you're severed from the body, no one will ever know, and it'll never be used. He also gives another speaking gift. He says, exhortation, verse 8. Now, I'm not going in order because I'm lumping them a little bit in, in kind. And so speaking is prophecy, it is teaching, it is exhortation, verse 8. The one who exhorts, use your gifts, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. So exhortation is speaking to people for their encouragement or their comforts, similar to prophecy perhaps in some ways, but it may have a sense of kind of coming alongside someone and and strengthening them in that way. So exhorting other people. That could happen publicly, but it could definitely happen uh, privately as well. I think Rob got up on the platform and exhorted us uh, this morning. That was an exhortation, I think, what he did this morning. So it's coming along, but it could be coming alongside someone privately and encouraging them. So in the community group, when somebody shares something... And the meeting's over. The person who goes over to someone who shared a burden and puts their arm around them and encourages them privately in the character and the faithfulness of God and shares a scripture with them and lets them know they're with them, that's an exhortation. That's a strengthening. Man, we need that. I need that every week. I need that every day. To have someone who comes around me and and, uh, lets me know God is with me, puts their arm around me, Sometimes with their arm around me, it gives me a little kick like that because I need to get moving forward a little bit, if you know what I'm saying. I need a goad of the scripture to get me going. But someone who you feel like they're with you, they're for you, they're, they're coming alongside and saying, God, they're, they're giving you courage by pointing you to God. Who doesn't need that? We need that regularly. But if I'm isolated, I won't get that. And if I have that gift, I'm isolated. Someone else 
the body won't be as healthy because it'll lack that. We need everybody with the gift of exhortation stepping up to the plate and using that gift daily. It's primarily speaking, I suppose you could email or text an exhortation or Facebook message an exhortation. I know we've got other, I know we've got other technologies that you could use that, but I think it's primarily personal presence. So there will be, when the service is over, there will be, out in the lobby, there will be somebody with that gift who will use it. It happens every Sunday. Somebody will be talking to someone over coffee, and they will encourage and strengthen and let someone know that God is with them, for them. Nothing can separate them from the love of God, and He is faithful. Bring that gift on. So all of these gifts have such a strength, teaching to strengthen the church with truth, prophecy to encourage and comfort and build up with an impression from God, exhortation, which is just speaking for encouragement and comfort. It could be sharing scripture, it could be sharing uh, all kinds of things to build people up and strengthen them using our speaking gifts. Secondly, he uses service gifts. Look at verse 7. If service is your gift in our serving. So use this gift in serving others. Now, I'm going to be careful here because um, it's not just that some people serve who are gifted. Um, we need someone to stack chairs in the service. That's not my gift. Well, that's pretty much not like anybody's gift. I don't know anybody from the foundation of the world. God created them and said, I have given you the amazing ability, the unique ability to pick up a chair and put it on one another. No one else, you know. Uh, that just, some work needs to get done. Now, it does take a, a gift to line these back up. We don't want anybody just lining them back up. That actually takes a spiritual gift. And if you've ever watched them set them up, it's like they got a black light, really. It's all this kind of, there's spots on the floor and black lights, and I don't know, some engineer figured it out. But, so, you're not, not everybody's gifted to do that. I'll let you know that. But everybody's just gifted to serve. We all pitch in. There's all family business. Everybody's got a uh, do the dishes and wipe up the table and help and participate and everybody can do household stuff in the life of the church but there are some people that are uniquely given to serve where and here's why I, I see that there are people that detect and identify needs before everyone else so some people are called to serve when we say hey we need some people to stack the chairs great we're all called to serve but there's some people that uniquely look and see and identify and meet very practical needs, oftentimes behind the scene. These people are gold. Absolute gold. And they minimize their gift. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's a huge deal. You show up where nobody has that gift and see what's going on. Where everybody's got the gift of receiving, and we got a problem. <laughs> we got a problem. Uh, so this is a powerful gift where you can serve with speech, with practical actions, and people who are looking for that sort of a thing. So in a group, don't minimize that gift, but use that gift in your group. You can serve others through prayer. You can serve others through providing practical help and relieving their burdens. Um, look for needs and and use your gifts. We're all called to serve, but some people uniquely uh, have that gift Better, uh, stronger than others. Sometimes those gifts show up in hospitality gifts. Oftentimes people who are very good at hospitality have a strong serving gift because they're thinking of others. They're thinking about representing Christ to others. Jesus is the one who takes a towel and washes the feet of the disciples as a servant. He postures himself as a servant. We're all called to serve one another, but some people uniquely have that bent, and, and it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful gift, and it enables ministry to take place. What's happening this morning is happening because a lot of people with that gift did something uh, before we showed up or while we were there. And I could name names. I'm not going to do that. But a lot of folks can do that sort of thing. Another gift would be generosity or giving. Look at verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. So everybody's called to give financially. Everybody's called to give financially. There's not some people, well, yeah, I just live selfishly off my money and don't give anything because that's not my gift. No, we're all called to give. We're all called to give sacrificially in view of the mercy of God. But some people uniquely have that gift. God gives them resources. It's not just wealthy people either. It's people who, who want to take sacrificially what they have and use it and use it to bless, use it to meet needs, use it to fund ministry, use it to care for others. It's a tremendous, tremendous gift. And he says, if you have that gift, use it generously. Contribute generously to others. God has given it to you freely so that you can give your resources to others. He then goes on and says, the one who leads, leads with, lead with zeal. 
doesn't mean lead in a domineering way, but lead in faith. Come on, get it going. Step out. Lead. If you have a leadership gift, don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Don't be Saul uh, with the baggage. They've got to come find him. If God's given you that gift, if God's uh, called you and equipped you to do that, then step in to the delegated authority you have, whatever that is, and lead in the sphere you're called to lead with zeal. That means with faith, leading, trusting the Lord, not faith in your own strength, but trusting the Lord, trusting the Spirit, trusting He's going to use that gift. Trusting you to, and oftentimes people who are leading are helping coordinate some of these other gifts. So they're helping coordinate the serving gifts and the exhortation and the prophecy gifts or whatever else. Sometimes they're overseeing in some way or some type of ministry. So lead in whatever God has called you to do. There's leadership opportunities all over uh, the church. And if you want to lead in some way, talk to your small group leader if you're not doing that or talk to one of the pastors or let us know. That's the gift God's given you, and we'll, we'll, help, uh, we'll get to know you and, then, and help, uh, help find a, a place for you to express that gift. Uh, the one who um, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So that's another gift. Some, and we're all to be merciful. And I say, well, I've got the gift of harshness and judgment. No. Boy, that, I didn't see that on the list. That's called sin. <laughs> it's not a gift. It's a curse, and Jesus died for it, so repent of it, please. But that's not your gift to be harsh. I just kind of tell people what to do. It's a gift of prophecy. I've heard people say, I'm just prophetic. I'm just black and white. No, you're self-righteous. That's what you are. But uh, So this is, this is mercy. We're all to be merciful, but some people have a unique, compassionate gift for others. So when somebody shares something in the community group and it's a burden and you look over, it's that person that's crying because they're feeling with this person. That, that's the gift of mercy. And so use that gift with cheerfulness. Why does he say with cheerfulness? Giving with generosity, that we get that. Leading with zeal, we probably get that. But mercy and cheerfulness, because people with a gift of mercy bear the burdens of others and that's heavy and that's weighty. And so he's saying, exercise that gift, but, but do so cheerfully, because I've equipped you to use that gift. It's a gift, so use it to bring cheer to others, mercy. So there's a lot more gifts than this, but you can just imagine being a part of a small group where all this is happening. Oh my goodness, that would be beautiful. What life, when, when somebody's uh, sharing things that are clear, no one's giving a big sermon and lecture in the group, but people are sharing the teaching gift is bringing clarity of God's word to apply to our lives. Wonderful. Prophetically, somebody's speaking out and encouraging the whole group. The person with the gift of exhortations coming alongside and individuals or maybe the whole group and speaking in a way that stirs them to confidence and faith in God. Someone's got a gift of giving. There's a need. We all perhaps pitch in to meet somebody's physical need. But man, there's someone who's got a heart and a calling and the resources to go along with that. And they're meeting financial needs and helping people, whatever that would be. Giving gifts to people as they have a need. Uh, providing things for folks in the group. That would be a great gift. Serving. Maybe there's several people in the group that have the gift of serving. So everything is thought through and needs are anticipated and met by someone who serves practically. And then someone in the group perhaps has the, has the gift of leadership. Hopefully the small group leader has some gift of leadership in some way. And this, this person's not bashful. This person's not lording it over people. But this person's also not like, well, I don't want to say anything. He's just kind of floating back. No, this person's saying, God's gifted me. He's called me. And so I'm just going to lead. So this person's bringing clarity and direction. Clarity and in, in, in leading us together. Someone else has got the gift of mercy, and so they're feeling for those who are suffering. They're praying. They're coming alongside. They're present with them. They're just communicating the heart, the tender heart of God to those who are broken and those who are suffering. I'd like to go to that meeting. I'd like to go to that meeting. And you can go to that meeting. That is God's intention that all of our meetings be places where people can use these gifts and others in various ways to build up the church. So Paul is saying here, look, you're saved individually by the mercy of God. Consider the mercy of God and live your life for the worship of God. Be transformed, but realize that the transforming your mind is going to happen in community. That's where he goes immediately. And so, because it's going to happen in community, by grace, have a reality check on yourself. Don't think oh, too highly of yourself. Don't think too less of yourself, too little of yourself. Realize that what God has done for you Think, think in reality. Grace is going to lead you to think in reality about the community. You're not an, just an individual. Um, you are attached to his 
people, members one of another like a body. And third, grace is going to cause you to use your gifts in the community. So what God is doing and has done in you individually, he wants to express that to others. How do I know what my gifts are? How do I know what I do? I think the, my, the best answer on this, in, in my mind, is to get in a place where you, people know you and you can step out and use some gifts and those around you can help affirm and identify certain gifts that you have. It happens by, as you use them. It's one of these things that it is, it is, sometimes there's some trial and error, but it's ultimately developed by who you are and what, how you function in the body. So if my hand again, to say this again, is lying on the floor, we say, well, what does that do? Nobody would know uh, if you didn't know if you've never seen a human body before and there's there's a hand What is that? I don't know for but if it's on my arm uh, Attached to my wrist and it starts doing some stuff. We go well. It can grab it can pick up it can point it Can scratch, you know, it can do all kinds of stuff. So uh, We start seeing what the gift of the hand is by its usage And so if I'm not if I'm not stepping out and just doing it, Being who God's called me to be serving others loving others. I, I'll never know what my gifts are So the best thing is get in a context where others can help see and affirm what your gifts are and give you an opportunity To use those. I think that is the best way, but God wants to use us all So as we think about community reset, it's not about everybody getting a perfect attendance badge We're not giving out gold stars for those who always show up as if the goal is a, attendance the goal is being a part of the body of Christ, receiving the grace of God, investing my life in communicating the grace of God through the gifts he's given me to other people for the building up of the body of Christ. What I'm a part of is, is glorious. What I'm a part of is what I was created to be a part of God's people. That's what you were created for. And so many of us, God's got much more for us to do. There's some of us that have a, used a gift that's kind of small. God's going to, when you put yourself in a position that you're using your gift, God's going to pour gas on that little ember, and it's going to flame. There's some of us that God wants to increase your gifts, wants to, wants to use your gifts, wants you to be able to see others affected by him through you. I think that's the greatest joy going, is to see someone's life affected by the grace of God, and you go, God did something in them through me. And at that moment you say, this is living. This is what I was created for. This is what it's all about. This is real joy. Real joy is loving others. Real joy is extending myself for others by the power of God through the Spirit by His grace. And God's got that joy for you, and God's got that blessing for someone else to receive what He's going to do through you. So as you're thinking about this, ask, you know, how is these last two weeks in summary, how can I stir one another up to love and good deeds? That's my focus. How can I stir them up? One of the answers is by using the gifts he's given me. How can I stir one another up to love and good deeds? How can I encourage others as, as I see the day drawing near? That's Hebrews 10 last week. How can I think soberly about myself? What does that mean to think of what God has done for me by grace, to focus on the work of the gospel and to be used by him? How can I think soberly about the body of Christ? How do I understand the people he's joined me to? How can I uh, invest in them and how can I cultivate those relationships? How can I use my gifts? I mean, the two immediate action steps on that is, if you're a guy, we'll have something for the ladies maybe in the future, but if you're a guy, uh, you could get in one of the two men's groups, and that would be very helpful. It's not like Bob's just going to be, and Tim's going to be telling everybody what they think their gifts are right off the bat or something. But, but as they get to know you, as you're in that, and you're thinking about planning, spiritual planning, investing your life, life plan, part of that will be using who God has made you to be and your specific relationships and your specific opportunities and leveraging those to serving him. That's what that's about. And so that'll be helpful to you in this kind of concept. The other one is just get in a group and start participating and watch what happens uh, in, in a fresh way. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Amen.